All right. I don't have any blue lines. Don't have anything particularly planned for the pre-show, but yeah, Kent State Gun Girl. It is pretty funny. Um, the the shitting your pants thing is pretty funny when you remember that she was the mastermind behind one of Turning Point USA's most embarrassing episodes ever, which was the oh, was she in on it? Yeah. She was the head of the chapter. No. Yeah, and then like, yeah, that was her. That was the her best brainchild. The brightest up in there. Then the ridicule, I think, caused her to disassociate. Um, and she blamed like Charlie Kirk, but yeah, she well, did. Yeah, she did. I mean, because he loves diapers. It wasn't me. Because now I've never uh, shit my pants. Because some leaks happened from inside the organization oh! uh, that uh, Charlie Kirk like now gets called Diaper Charlie anytime he like sticks his head out, and he hates it, which is amazing. The the um, I'm sure this might be the same leak, but I, I saw there was an app that Turning Point like students and members used to communicate. And in this app, there was like a chat function and they were all sharing like those memes of Charlie Kirk with the incredibly small face on the oversized head. And I think that was <laughs> right. like like a point of like infuriation for him, too. Oh, man, the the rollout for the the Turning Point UK was oh, so was funny. Great. And that that one. uh that that one tweet that was like uh like tweeting about how somebody has an undersized face like might qualify for a hate crime like we're talking to our lawyers you know <laughs> so good um i don't know if you saw it today so with that rollout in the uk like that's when candace owens made like the hitler comments i don't know if you saw it today but a few chapters published like statements saying they they're like denouncing her and they want her out of the group yeah um, yeah, including the group from Omaha, which was involved in that controversy that they did a episode of This American Life about. Um, I'm not fa- I don't, so I'm not even they are that. like, yeah, we're getting off the, the train. Yeah, the, I, I learned something about them today, which is kind of scary and also ironic when you hear what it is. Someone from the Washington Examiner told me that it was good that I had screenshotted these tweets like of them condemning Candace Owens because... Turning Point makes all the chapters give them their Twitter passwords so they can then go in and delete critical tweets. Holy and they shit. did that today. They deleted the <laughs> tweets like with these statements. So it's like, here's the, the campus free speech organization yeah, deleting free speech warriors. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for tuning back in to the Liquid Flannel Podcast, your official news source for Pete Buttigieg's campaign for uh, for the 2020 election. Uh, out of Arlington, Texas, I am Matthew Hodges, campaign manager, uh, joined by my co-host and comms director, Brendan Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Brendan, how's, how's Pete looking right now? You know, uh, like many Democratic candidates, uh, no one knows who he is. But that just makes the victory all the sweeter. Um, I'm getting in on the ground floor. He's my favorite alternative candidate. Um, I I hope he's going places. You know, maybe he doesn't win the presidency this year. But, you know, isn't he like 14? Like, he's got time. Yeah, uh, his his middle name literally is Dark Horse. I don't know if he had that legally changed uh, or if that was what his parents named him. But, um, yeah, he's a... Uh, really doing some exciting stuff to help us 
uh, go through Pete Buttigieg's. That is so hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why it's such a compelling candidacy. Right. Pete Buttigieg's chances in the 2020 election we have brought on a special guest for you from washington dc uh an activist uh sometimes journalist and all around really fun person to follow on twitter jordan old jordan thanks for being on liquid flannel hey happy to be here thanks for having me guys mm. so uh we know that you're 100 percent on the on the Buttigieg train here well, I'd say I'm probably 75% uh, Buttigieg and 25% Delaney dude. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, proud proud Delaney dude. We like to uh, um, be ex- especially polite to people on Twitter to show our support. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to see who uh, Lincoln Chafee, uh, you know, supports. Oh, yeah. So that's where I'm going to throw my support. Yeah, we I need, mean, he's really need- the kingmaker here. We need some pronouns, though, because obviously Bernie's claimed bro. So, um, like, Buttigieg... uh, Buds? Like, Buttigieg Buds. Yeah, I love it. Um. (laughs) Uh, When when your candidacy, when when he has butt in his name, um, you know, it can go one of two ways. You know, you can go positive with it or (laughs) negative with it. It's, It's a risky play. I've thought I, I just realized that's how you pronounce his name. I always thought it was Booty Judge, um, and I'm not I'm not even joking. I seriously thought like I had I had heard someone pronounce it that way, and I thought that's what it was. No, that's yeah, the yeah. Uh, that's that's the Sir Mix a Lot song. <laughs> um, the the. <laughs> oh, but I I actually think um, I I started liking his candidacy as a joke because his name was funny, but. I actually think he's really great. I just don't think like I just don't think it make he's not gonna win. Like, but I think it's actually really cool that he's running and it's also really interesting that he's running as like I'm the young candidate. Um yeah. and you know, he's got that like uh AOC, you know, sure. kind of demo going for him. Does he him, talk you know? like that? Does he have that kind of yokel accent you just gave him? I've never heard <laughs> well, of you guy. know, he is from South Indiana. Uh, but his voice is actually really deep and soothing and calm. It's, yeah. it's amazing. I was sure that his voice was going to be terrible before I heard him talk, <laughs> and then I was pleasantly surprised. I want to. I want His timbre. Pete Buttigieg ASMR now. <laughs> He'll probably get there. Is he? But I mean, I think. Go ahead. Oh, I, I. So I don't know much about his platform. Is he like a Medicare for all supporter, or where is he following some of like the like the key issues? I think he's he's pretty lefty. He's like he's like young Bernie. He's like Bernie but young. That's good. He came uh, out because he's also was the mayor, like just like Bernie was the mayor of uh, Burlington. He just came he's out in favor of something pretty aggressive. It was uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like universal, you know, getting rid of the death penalty or something like that. Where you're like, oh, that actually is really good policy. That's pretty cool. Um, I wish more people knew about you. Well, I mean, yeah, it is good he's running then, especially when we have this younger crop of people like establishing now like a repertoire of of progressive like bona fides. So, yeah, that'd be that'd be great if they, I, he's also someone that really cracks me up because like we all know him because he ran for DNC chair with like really having no shot of doing it. Now he's like oh, yeah. going to further his public profile <laughs> by running for president with while not having a shot. I mean, good on him. Yeah, sure. I think it makes sense. I mean, it's funny because 
like when when Hillary was running, like no one wanted to run to get in her way, right? Like they wanted to clear the the path for her. But it's actually beneficial to have in some ways to have a wide field of candidates because like if you look at the Trump administration, they're just plucking all the like former candidates for like high profile positions sure. and being, um, you know, being campaign advocates, you know, once you secure the nomination. So if there's no one else <laughs> running it, like, you know, it limits the the field of which you can draw from, you know, cabinet level positions and supporters and high profile media personalities and stuff like that. So I, I'm really interested to see when this campaign actually like, kicks into gear i really hope the like second phase of when they actually start having like debates and stuff is not a total cluster although i know that it will be but that's where i think it'll actually get exciting when people actually start listening to what these candidates are saying and they actually know that people are paying attention because right now even though people talk about it all the time i feel like you don't actually hear directly from the candidates anything really substantive at this point right you just see like uh you know they announce and then they're like i'm running or like i'm thinking about running and that's like that's all you get and that's uh, what so. a, that's what a primary is supposed to be right that you put in a bunch of different nominees who get to debate ideas and see who moves one way or another based on uh the the their opponent's records and and stated positions uh which i think brings us to Probably for our audience, the biggest news that happened this week, which was that um, apparently there's some old dude from Vermont who's going to run. Does anyone, anyone know anything about this guy? Not much. Could you? <laughs> He's a relative unknown. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I guess it would it be fair. Like, here's where I think it's a little bit strange. Clearly, Bernie is the front runner, but yet no one talks about it like that but like it, it, that's clearly what's happening do, do you agree with that assessment jordan do you think bernie is the the clear front runner and it's just the way the media is covering him that makes it seem like he's not sissy it a couple of different ways i think i mean when you look at his fundraising hall on day one it was like six million like that's that's great and i think you, you yeah, obviously bonkers have, yeah you have to acknowledge though but like that's also like because he had like the 2016 apparatus that he could tap, which I sure. yeah sure I get that. That's still like nothing to sneeze at, especially when you have like already people pledging, like in total way over half a million a month, like reoccurring donations, so they can like pre-plan around that kind of stuff too. So that's like a great fantastic start. So he's gonna have a robust campaign. I do think that Camilla is also like one of the like strongest candidates in terms of like popular opinion and support and that kind of stuff but again that might just be like like as we see how the media cuts against bernie that could just be because the media is fixated on her too so i i think we'll see let's i mean we won't know till iowa so sure it, it's, it, it's, it's been tough. it's been really interesting watching the discourse especially among some of these uh like hashtags still with her uh like like the eight percenters on twitter talking about uh how Actually, you know, this this fundraising hall that Bernie had on his first day, like that just proves our point. Right. Because who supports Bernie? But like a bunch of rich white people, you know, 
<laughs> versus like complete radio silence when it comes to Kamala Harris like spending the last month in the Hamptons like courting Hillary Clinton like big donors you know um, there's a an obvious and really gross double standard I think going on between those two candidates and it's obvious who the establishment would prefer. Oh, yeah, because Bernie Sanders is out there talking about we need to raise taxes. We need you know, I, I think he's in for the Green New Deal. Um, you know, he, he wants to fund, you know, massive public works projects and stuff. And Kamala is much more in the the mode of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, where it's like we're not going to upset the capitalist apple cart too much. You know, we, we want we want kind of social democracy, but with some austerity built in. Um, and it's it's so transparent when you look at uh, like the associations of the people who are making the different arguments uh, that this is a this it's a constructed narrative. I mean, you look at the like just how primaries go in general, right? Like the the party, like the candidates, like appeal to like the farthest right or left, like respective, like whatever side you're on in the primary, and then it's a race to the middle in the general. And I think if you are someone who values progressive platforms and you don't want any compromise, I think that to me, the two people that would really stick with it, even in the general would be Warren and Sanders. And I think that like, also we should probably consider like supporting Warren in some capacity, because like if we have two really strong progressive candidates like that, and they both support very similar things, especially with Warren's wealth tax, I think like, whoever like outperforms the other throwing that apparatus that you've already enriched behind the other candidate could like do wonders in the long run. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, to, to be honest, like I think when Bernie got into the race in 2016, I don't think he got in the race to win. Like he got in the race cause no one was in the race and he didn't like where the conversation was. So he said like, I'm going to put myself in there and I'm going to change this conversation so that, you know, my views and the people who, you know, have true leftist views feel like they have a voice in the race. And it was incredibly effective uh, at, you know, getting the candidates to talk about issues that weren't being talked about, to talk about income inequality, to talk about Medicare for all, you know, all these things. Um, I think it really did activate, you know, a leftist base within the side of this centrist democratic platform and it pulled everybody to the left so the more candidates that i can see getting in and and doing that the better the whole party's going to be sure. i feel like so and that's and that's I, been part of the the important argument right that it's not so much that there's a division between like the left and the democrats in terms of uh who supports whom like bernie sanders voters just flatly factually did not throw the election for Trump uh, because in any state where a bunch of people protest voted or uh, vote, you know, voted for Bernie Sanders anyway, even though he didn't get the nomination, they were dwarfed by people who weren't feeling motivated to go and vote because they're looking at Hillary, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump going, I'm not sure that either of these is really going to affect my day to day life, you know? Uh, and that's that's a really depressing state to be in as a political party uh, if you're the Democrats where like we just aren't exciting anymore. And and I think you're right, Brendan. I think uh, Bernie Sanders did activate a bunch of people who may have just sat that one out. 
it wasn't enough, obviously, but maybe this time around, now you have, you know, he's introduced so many things into the discussion uh, that every candidate has to address uh, because you have this big, obvious voting block. And that voting block, the left, are, you know, that they believe and I believe with them that the policies that they're pushing are ones that will activate voters, will get people excited to vote for a candidate. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, we all have different backgrounds and experiences as far as like geographical experiences and like working class issues relative to where we're from. But like, I mean, I come from the Rust Belt originally before I moved to D.C. And that's an area where at Youngstown, Ohio. Oh, okay. So like that's an area where Trump and like the whole Rust Belt, Trump cleaned up, right? Like this is a traditional, traditionally democratic area, like union hotbed, right? Sure. This is manufacturing. I mean, like back when the back when the Democrats actually supported unions and were in favor of you know like strong labor rights, sure. Right, right, and I think that when you look at how that area, those areas have went historically compared to 2016, there's an issue. That Bernie could speak to, but so could Trump. And uh, uh, clearly Trump was like lying. You know, he was pandering. He, he It was like completely <laughs> right. hollow. But that's like, that's the Steve Bannon populism rhetoric. And it can be effective. And we see that a lot with Tucker Carlson, right? Like this is, this is like phony, yeah. bogus right-wing populism that in the end just wants to demonize immigrants to enrich like the elite. And I think yeah, we've talked about it before that Tucker Carlson is trying to create that like red brown alliance right now. Yep. Um, oh, even though he did get spanked by a dude uh, just recently <laughs> talking about how like he's a millionaire paid for by billionaires and he just lost his shit. In fact, I'm going to play a clip of that right now. You jumped the bandwagon. You're all like, oh, I'm against the globalist elite, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's not very convincing, to be honest. Why don't you go f- yourself? tiny brain and i hope this gets picked up because you're a moron i tried to give you a hearing but you were too annoying for me. Uh, you can't handle the criticism can you but yeah, yeah definitely but yeah beautiful. going back to your point jordan yeah like you you see it i mean economic populism is emerging on both sides of the aisle at this point yeah and one side's going to follow through and the other side is just in it to demonize black and brown people and immigrants and sure. other marginalized communities, right? It's, it's, they want you to rally around this idea of nationalism first, shared, uh, a shared national identity, and they want you to put, like, your cultural experiences and the, the marginal, the, the marginalized communities, like, those specific identities behind you and uh, put, like, America first policies, like, at your forefront. Well, that's not, like, going to actually increase in a rising tide lifting all boats, Right. But it, like uh, a, a truly populist, like left wing economic plan would, because it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't create enemies out of marginalized groups. It, right. That's why I say. I mean, it really frustrates me because like I saw so many people from back home who were liberal and liberal voters, and just like just unenthused by Hillary because it's like, here's the family that created NAFTA that so many people are now out of work in our area because of here's the people that are pushing sure. the trans-pacific partnership because then <laughs> which is just further decimate the area and they just weren't enthused and trump was criticizing the things that hillary was pushing that would make their area even worse right well yeah and, well, go ahead Brennan. oh i was just gonna say i mean 
Bernie amazingly got Hillary to flip her position on TBD, yeah. even though she like created it, yep. uh, and she you know supported it and pushed it as you know part of the Obama administration. But then Bernie got people talking about it. nobody was talking about that before you know Bernie got it, and then Trump started talking about it. He stole it from from Bernie to try to tap into that populism. So um, I think it's just amazing. I really am excited to see kind of where this goes because you talk about ideas that were thought of as being completely toxic ideas like taxing the rich you know (laughs) that bernie was talking about in the last campaign that now are like pulling with like almost majority support amongst republicans oh yeah i know that that one amazing fox news poll that was like you know 75 percent of fox news viewers agree that people making over what was it like $10 million a year need to have their taxes raised. Uh, and, and another example of the rights, uh, as Jordan puts it, hollow economic populism falling apart was that great clip that you found Brendan of the dude who called into Infowars, And he's like, I voted for Trump. Oh, the taxes. And yeah. Like my taxes went up like $4,000 this year. Uh, because part of that tax package was uh, getting rid of the, the personal exemption for, uh, paid state and local taxes. Um, so I'm actually getting dicked over here. And all the, they couldn't respond to it substantively. They just decided that he must be like a paid Soros shill or something. Yeah, I knew it was real when I saw CNBC roll out a totally new graphics package called for like tax the rich. Hell yeah. um, that they were like, we know that this is going to be a topic for a while. So like we got wow. we got our graphics team to make a whole shiny, you know, gold font, you know, spinning out of control, you know, where we introduce the segment where we're going to talk about tax on the rich. So, you know, that that's going places. So I, I'm really excited to see where the conversation goes next. You know, are there going to be people who are talking about universal basic income? Um, God, what was it? So one of the candidates recently put out like a universal child care plan. Was that an Elizabeth Warren Warren thing? I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's amazing. I mean, I, that's the type of stuff where I think it really does have the potential to get people excited and interested. And if you're some other, you know, milk toast candidate, like freaking Joe Biden or Beto or whatever, who's eventually going to win the uh, nomination, hopefully going through that process will mean that you adopt some of these ideas that you never would have adopted without, you know, having these other candidates, even though they're like, you know, quote unquote, fringe candidates or whatever, getting involved in the race. Well, I think they have to uh, engage with those ideas or it's going to be 2016 all over again, because this is where the discussion is now, whether or not like the big donors actually want that. Yeah, I I, I, to your like even an anecdote like CNBC creating this graphics package about taxing the rich and we see like the discourse is so fixated on it. And how threatened people on the right, like establishment figures on the right are by like AOC's like platforms, right? This not only reflects like the like the shift in the Democratic Party, but also like a general sentiment in, in like the poll you brought up on Fox. Like this country is tearing at its seams and this is like transcending a partisan issue because so many people are experiencing it. Like, what is it like yeah. over half the country can't afford a $400 emergency? Yeah, sure. This is so unbelievably unsustainable. <laughs> like, right. We well, can't we cannot put this aside. And it's it's what makes uh, you know, proposals like uh like I I think Amy Klobuchar is dead in the water because her idea of, you know, motivating policy is stuff like 
you know, tax advantaged savings accounts to, you know, take care of a medical emergency or something. And everyone's like all real people are looking at it going, I don't have money to put into a savings account just for a savings account, much less like one specifically for one task. Right. A gold plated Roth IRA isn't the solution. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But I think candidate candidates like that, I think are going to have a really hard time because like that, that's a message that I think does resonate with some voters, um, you know, kind of the more like centristy, you know, kind of older voters that the Democratic Party has leaned on for so long. But that type of policy idea exists in a world where you're like, what we really need is, you know, bipartisanship and like working together and coming up with compromises that can actually, you know, pass in a bipartisan way, but we're not in that world anymore. Right. And everybody knows that we're not in that world anymore. I mean, even the most, uh, you know, head in the sand voters realize that, that that's not going to happen. I mean, you could pull an Obama and, you know, support, like come out with an idea that was a Republican idea and Republicans are instantly going to Yeah, they're to still going to oppose it. Yeah. Right. Right. So like, what's the point in coming like, you know, pre, uh, you know, coming to a centrist position where you think, well, this is the position that I've arrived at that a Demo- that uh, a Republican might actually support and they're still not going to support it. So what's the point in coming with, with a pre-compromised position? Yeah. Why don't you just go out there and say like what you actually want to do and then put the ball in their court for them to say, well, no, we don't like that idea. We don't like the idea of universal childcare or we don't like the idea of taxing the rich. And it's like, well, why not? Like, it kind of seems like a, a pretty basic good idea and they have to argue against it. And that's the thing. If you come out with, you know, let's do tax advantaged, you know, education savings accounts or whatever, Republicans aren't going to oppose it, but it's also, nobody cares. (laughs) No, no, that's not something that anybody wants to talk about because it's stupid and they know it's not going to do it. And they might oppose it anyway, just because it's a thing that was proposed (laughs) by a Democrat, you know? Um, yeah, what is the point? Let's uh let's take a break there. We'll think about that and uh we're looking forward to picking Jordan's brain a little bit more about about these issues going into the Jesus Christ, are we really still a year out from the actual primaries? I think way more than that, right? Yeah. <laughs> let's try Michael in Florida. Go ahead, Michael. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? Good, thanks for calling. Hey, first and foremost, I want to say under uh, my current taxes, I just got information from my accountant. Under Trump now, I'm going to pay $4,200 more in taxes than I did in 2017. I have now no individual exemptions, and I now have to pay more in property taxes because of the limit. I'm a middle-class American, and my family's now going to spend $4,000 more. Thank you. My second point is, you're a marshmallow. You guys are snowflakes. Those cops were professional. The FBI, Stone is facing seven felony counts, five for lying to authorities, one for obstruction of justice, the other for witness tampering. They were gentlemen. They came to your house. They didn't throw you down on the ground. You say your dogs were terrified and your wife was out in the street without her shoes on in the Florida freezing cold 59 degrees. You guys are snowflakes. 
and you're going to go down in prison. You're facing 40 plus years stone. It's coming down on you. All right, Mike, don't bet the ranch, uh, muchacho. Uh, I don't know where you are, but I guarantee you, you won't tell us your name and your address uh, because you're ashamed of what you just said, and you should be. Thank you very much for your call. You have Wait, no hold idea on. I want to ask Michael a question. I got to ask Michael a question because we're, we're getting these seminar callers now. Uh, so, so, Michael, who told you to call here today? No one called, told me to call here, Owen. I've been watching Alex Jones for 20 years since he's on Austin Cable Access. No one tells me to call. When someone has a good point and puts you in a quarter, obviously it's a conspiracy. Yeah, I'm being paid by Soros. He sends me a check every week to watch your show and call in. Yeah, right. I've really been enjoying watching this Twitter account, The Reagan Battalion. What they keep doing is finding old clips of Bernie Sanders. You know, here's Bernie Sanders talking about Kennedy's anti-communism was actually harmful for America. Like, ooh, and one million young people in their mentions going like, hell yeah, this whips ass. Are, are they paying you to find these? Because uh, you, should, you should be on Bernie's comms team. Yeah, there was another account a few weeks ago as well, like finding objectively cool videos of Bernie and posting him, be like, wow, this is damning. And it'd be like him in the 80s talking about being a socialist. And it's like, if anything, it just it makes him seem like better. But thanks. Yeah, there was a, that one where he's like in his briefs, like super drunk with a bunch of Russians, <laughs> yeah. uh, like basically at the end of the USSR. And like him and Jane Sanders are there uh, getting super drunk. And they're, they're singing like, uh, this land is your land. When you looked into the story, it was like, it was because Burlington, Vermont, where he was the mayor, had a relationship with this town in the USSR. It was at the beginning of Perestroika. They had had a sister city relationship for a long time. And in fact, Jane and Bernie had just gotten married and decided instead of having a honeymoon, they were going to like do their public service thing and like go and visit their sister city. It's like all of this is good. <laughs> Yeah, very admirable traits that you would want in a public servant. But yeah, sure, let's get mad about it. The more they try with this kind of stuff, just like the better he looks. I guess go for it. I wonder, Jordan, what do you think about the the theory that like gotcha politics stuff is probably pretty much dead after Trump? Oh, no, I think that I think there's a ton of credence to that. You look at look at Ralph Northam. Like the guy is still in office. He wrote it out. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He he basically posted through it. Yeah, I think that might be with like the, the whole Trump presidency, like nothing will stick to him. He'll just like say something outlandish and change the news cycle. I mean, it is a product of the news cycle, right? Like we just can't right. keep focused on anything. There's going to be things that'll be just be like so objectively bad that people will resign going forward or like address them. But I really do think that like, we're at the point where we're just so distracted it's like this age of acceleration. We can't like stay focused. I'd like to pick that apart a little bit because I'm not sure that it's that we're so distracted. I think that it's the the old trick of being able to bring up a thing that like out of context is damning. Sure. Um, may not have the effect that it used to have because people were more interested in substance like Roy Moore, you know, is another guy who basically posted through it. He lost his election, but it was narrow, sure. you know, yeah. versus something like uh, Al Franken, where people on his own side were saying, like, this is unacceptable. We don't want that in, in a leader. I think the better theory is that 
people are somehow less distractible when it comes to like old clips of Bernie Sanders saying that like maybe Kennedy was wrong about Cuba. It's not this uh, team sports thing for a lot of young voters. It's they want to look at like substance and consistency and good policy versus, you know, like who appears the best on like the Sunday morning talk shows. Oh, yeah, I think that's fair. No, I I think that that makes a lot of sense. Nailed it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If a clip comes out or some news story or something comes out, it's really difficult for it to change the perception because, for example, with this Bernie stuff, like if some clip comes out and they're like, you thought Bernie Sanders was a socialist, but wait till you see this clip of him being extra socialist. And it's like, you're not really changing anything with that, right? And it's the same thing with all these Trump stories that come out. It's like, you may have thought Trump was a selfish, corrupt billionaire, but wait till you see the selfish, corrupt billionaire things he did. And it's like, no, well, we already know, we already know that. Yeah, like, right. You may think that a politician in in Virginia maybe was racist. It turns out they are. And it's like, <laughs> again, like no one's. You're not surprising yeah. anyone with these revelations. You may have thought that Bernie Sanders was in favor of workers' rights, but watch this video of him throwing a binder at a staffer's head. Oh, wait, no, that was Amy Klobuchar. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I think so. To go back to your point about how, like, younger voters really want substance, like, I've been thinking on that since you said it. I think it's a good point. I think if you look at the Beto O'Rourke campaign, right? And the right tried to, like, really hit him with a bunch of stuff from his past. Again, some of it was cool. Like, he was in a band. Yeah, sure. And they, like, dressed in drag at a show. Right, it's like, right. that's cool. He's, like, living his, his true self, right? And I think they also tried to hit him with, like, he got a DUI 10, 15 years ago in college. And it's like, yeah, that's bad. But it must like, have been longer ago than that, isn't he? Like, he's in his 40s at least, isn't he? I mean, we're talking something that would have been like easily like 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's bad. But like, he also like made amends and like he addressed it. And it wasn't like he wasn't trying to justify it at all. Right. right. Like, and this is a mistake that like, but I'm sure there's been millions of DUIs over the past like few decades. Right. Sure. It's like, it doesn't, def- it doesn't mean that he is inherently a bad person. But, like, maybe this type of smear job politics, like, isn't going to work anymore because people are, like, maybe more forgiving. I don't know. I feel like on social media it doesn't seem like that. But, like, I feel like we might be in a way. Well, and also just the, I mean, the comparison, like, that was the end run in the 2016 campaign against Donald Trump, and none of it worked. The public is so inured to the idea that, you know, a politician might have done something bad before they were running for office or something that I, I think these like minor things we're, we're talking about a president who probably does have like decades of felonious like money laundering and in- involvements with the mob and shit like that. You know, like a DUI probably isn't going to cut it at this point. Yeah. Trump has definitely been successful in like lowering the scandal bar pretty heavily. If you have to have a way bigger scandal than Trump to even like make it to anybody's like perception, really. Like, right. <laughs> so it, it's going to be really interesting to see if they continue to try to pull some of these types of attacks out on these Democrat candidates because hypocritical attacks, like, you know, attacking Bernie Sanders as being like, well, he has ties to Russia. And it's like that attack kind of doesn't really land when it's coming from people who are supporting Trump. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. No, for sure. So as long as you just say, like, yeah, well, you know, let's move on, and you don't actually have any, like, shame 
<laughs> there's nothing that anyone can do. Yeah. Like you, they can't force you to quit. So if you don't quit, then people just go like, oh, I guess he's just not going to quit. So, okay. They're almost forced to deal with it. So he really, I think, has exposed a weakness in the political system in that it relied on these candidates, you know, when their affair got revealed or something that they would say, oh, never mind. You know, I don't want to be attacked in the press for two weeks. Yeah. So I'm just going to drop out. And if you don't do that, you get attacked in the press for two weeks and then they move on. Yeah, sure. And so there's no reason to quit. Yeah, who's the, uh, I mean, the, like the classic case of this was that that one like young rising star Democrat guy who it, it turned out he was cheating on his wife. I don't remember his name. Like nobody remembers Oh, they're making a movie about it with uh, with Hugh Jackman. Was it John Edwards? Wait, what? Who was it? He was the guy. He was on the monkey business boat. Gary Hart, I Gary think. Gary Hart. Yeah, Gary Hart's the one. If Gary Hart were running for office today- or even fucking like John Edwards, you know, it, it probably would be a thing. I think you're right, Brendan. I think everyone's attention span for, I'm going to say superficial, but what I mean is like not related to substantive policy sort of scandals are, are less interesting to people right now. To, to build on that theme, I'm curious, Jordan, do you see a distinction between that sort of scandal and actual substantive critiques of candidates like how the left says that they are not interested in voting for Kamala Harris because of her reputation and her her background as the uh, California AG. I mean, I think the AG stuff is like perfectly legitimate criticism, right? I think the one the one thing about Harris that really bothered me recently was like when she was eating something barbecue and was putting hot sauce on her greens. <laughs> yeah, it's put, like, putting hot sauce on her greens, yes. Do we really want to go after that? <laughs> like, I don't know. To me, it just kind of was like, who cares? I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit. I don't think that anybody had a problem with her putting hot sauce on her greens. I don't think anyone had a problem with the particular hot sauce she was using, right. which was a lot of the chatter that you saw from, like, hashtag still with her Twitter. It <laughs> yeah. was that it was pretty transparently a pandering move look at how like authentic and black our candidate is um in the same week when she was like yeah i used to smoke weed in college like back when oh yeah in charlamagne <laughs> or breakfast club yeah back when multiple hip-hop albums that hadn't been written yet like were what we're playing <laughs> on the radio you know it starts to feel really artificial when her career was you can you can argue why she had to do the things that she had to do um, being a black woman in like a white man's job uh, during the time period that she was doing that. But she still did have an incredibly aggressive and it turns out like regressive and racist uh, law enforcement history. Did you see her dad came out and condemned her and disassociated from her because of that Breakfast Club interview? No. Yeah. he. Uh, so he's a professor at Stanford. And he, like, very publicly criticized her for trying to fit – he's Jamaican – to fit a stereotypical Jamaican – Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, mold. And he said it's, like – it's an insult to their family, their ancestors, for her to come out and act like that. Like, I was very surprised by this criticism. But – Man, if even I'm your sure family members are saying that – although uh, Obama does have that one, like – maga chud brother so <laughs> yeah. you know yeah 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 i thought she, I heard the the dad's attack was gonna be like you told me that you weren't smoking weed i can't believe this i'll never <laughs> forgive you <laughs> right yeah 
<laughs> you just just disappointed in her like being a teenager. Yeah, you said yeah. you just liked incense, <laughs> yeah. I, and I believed you. He grounds her. My trust is shattered. <laughs> <laughs> did you say? Yeah. Did you say grounds her? Just like yeah, yeah like years later, like no, you're grounded. Like <laughs> you come home for Christmas, like you are sitting in your room the entire time to think about what you did. I mean, I, I the the posturing, the phony stuff, like trying to create these viral moments with their candidates. I realize it's yeah. a part of politics, everything's so optics-based now. It's just like, I don't need that. I need yeah. I need someone that can like perf- that can like guarantee that my friends and family who are still in the rust belt and dealing with unemployment at least have health insurance. I don't give a shit if this like epic boss photo is trending. Like yeah. that doesn't mean anything to me in the long run. I think that's uh part of like AOC's influence on on politics right now, right? Cuz like right. she's She's a good-looking young woman who speaks her mind and has really good politics. And so when she tweets, you know, when when she goes on Instagram and has a moment of her, like, cooking in the kitchen or something, all of the, the party apparatus are like, this went super viral. Everybody loves her. She was dancing in high school or something. Like, they're drawing the wrong lesson from it. They're They're not going, like, the reason people like her is because of her policies. And then when she's a real person that makes her relatable it's like she goes viral because she's relatable so we need beta o'rourke instagramming his tooth cleaning or whatever <laughs> yeah. you know which by the way was super tone deaf because like most people's fucking health insurance doesn't even cover <laughs> like dental visits exactly that like teeth is like one of the biggest indicators of class right and privilege yeah this is the same country where you know they run like free dental clinics every once in a while in like appalachia and uh, there was a, a big article that came out a couple of years ago where you know they were interviewing the people who are here at this free clinic and they're like this is the only time like we've ever had dental health in our family much less like any other kind of like healthcare. So then when you've got like AOC, you've got Bernie Sanders, uh, Liz Warren out there advocating for policies that are going to be good for these people. And then they do things that are relatable. Of course, those are going to go viral, right? Because this right. person's on my team and like, look at how cute this person is like dancing around in their kitchen. A good example of how it's both is Warren. She's got like, like some of the like farthest left policies but when she tried to do that instagram live like the day she announced it did come off as really awkward it's clear she's as she does not do that that's not who she is sure she like acted surprised when her husband was there it's like mm-hmm. well no shit it's your house <laughs> like i don't know it just like really like rubbed me as inauthentic and yeah. forced it starts to feel um, really staged and that's unfortunate yeah. because probably liz warren does other relatable stuff you know she doesn't need to be trying to be aoc online she needs to go out there with her strong policies, and then if she's doing a thing that's fun, that's you know relatable to people, then film it. But don't yeah, don't stage the thing. Don't don't try to like hit your wagon to this idea of like millennials. You know, it's it's that same mentality that it's like millennials are killing the X industry <laughs> or whatever. It's like no, it's because nobody has any fucking money. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. Yeah. I, I think there's a yeah. lot of politicians that are kind of taking the wrong lessons from how to relate to the millennials or whatever. Where what they're relating to yeah. is is that authenticity and all 
politics is performative in some way. Like when you're campaigning, when you're going out and you're eating your freaking lunch, like it is performative, but you have to be sure. able to, to do yeah. it in a way that your performance feels authentic and not false. And I think a lot of people try to overcorrect. And I think this was Hillary Clinton's problem as well, is that she tried to put on this persona of what she thought people wanted to see, where if she was just like herself and she was like, you know what? Like, I actually don't like this shit or whatever. And I'm not, not in a very good mood right now. People be yeah. like, I feel you, you know, like I, that's more relatable than your like faux, uh, like niceness persona or whatever. <laughs> Did you guys see that um, Kristen Gillibrand in Iowa where she was trying to talk to some lady <laughs> yeah. and the lady was like, excuse me, I'm just trying to get some ranch dressing and I don't want to engage with you in, in a presidential <laughs> right. debate right now. Yeah, that was amazing. Jewel Brand actually like bounced back from that pretty well because she did tweet, was like, you know what? Like everybody's trying to eat, you know? And like, I'm from a part of the country where you do put ranch dressing on everything. I've got no problem with this person. You know, that's relatable. I, I actually can get behind that. It's like this, this woman who wanted ranch dressing kind of fucked up your photo op. And instead of just pretending like it didn't happen or trying to play it off, she was like, no, I get it. Like, People like ranch dressing. But yeah, That's cool. It's like people were so starved for authenticity from a politician that they were like, let's vote for ranch girl. Like ranch girl is my new favorite. Per <laughs> like that's how starved for authenticity they are in these performances that when a snippet of it accidentally shows up, people glom onto it. And yet still no one can seem to realize that that's what's happening and that's what people actually right. want uh, yeah yeah it's gonna get so so much worse too like as the more this goes on the, the more crowded it gets it gets the closer it gets to iowa like we're gonna see so much more of this performative stuff um and i really hope like and the media is complicit in this like just kind of covering this sensational stuff I really hope we can have like a meaningful conversation on like these policies, yeah. especially like Medicare for all, maybe even universal basic income and like Green New Deal. I, I, that's going to be like the biggest needle mover because that re resonates. People in the Midwest, people in, in like the breadbasket, like they don't give a shit. The Great Plains does not give a shit about like someone dabbing on Ellen. <laughs> right. <laughs> in fact, that's just... alienating to a lot of people because I mean, and not just people in the Great Plains, but people in the working class all over the country. Like, I don't get to glad hand with Ellen. I don't get to go to a party with fucking Jay-Z and Beyonce. Like, that doesn't reflect my life in any way. And it's really pandering to think that it does. To think that, like, just because you see a candidate hanging out with a celebrity that you might like, you know, like, Beyonce is great. Of course, I'm not saying that, but that doesn't have anything to do with like somebody's politics. And I think one of the things that the Democratic Party has forgotten is that people in the Rust Belt, people in the Great Plains, people in the mountains, uh, any place that you would describe as the heartland outside of the coastal cities, they're not fucking idiots. Well, and they can see right through it so easily. Like, it's so obvious to spot when someone's, like, faking how much they love corn dogs in Iowa. Like... Yeah, it, it's it's not easy to to see right through it. So. And the thing is, Iowa does make some dank corn dogs, <laughs> and if that's a thing that you're into, then that could be an effective, you know, authentic moment. But if you're just if you're holding your nose and eating it and going like, oh, I I love being out here where like all the Iowans just eat corn dogs all the time. Like everybody knows that's fake. <laughs>
Right. I think at some level, like there's this undercurrent of like elitism that is like a problem plaguing the Democratic Party. And when you have these people approaching these issues and these things in the way that they do, it shows that they look down on these types of people. They look down on the people in the Midwest. And when you have them like summarily write off everyone in the Rust Belt as racist because they voted for Trump shows that you don't even understand the issue and why they did that. It's late. It's lazy thinking and it's elitism. Like they are, they're like incubated and they're in these bubbles in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, wherever, DC. And they're just like looking down on everyone out there, but they're not, they're not close to the issue. I think like, like you guys clearly come from like outside of the beltway, outside of the coast. I grew up in Youngstown. Like I know why these people voted the way they did or didn't vote at all. Yeah. Because like they're tired of being fed the same lines of bullshit. Like that's why Amy Klobuchar's plans aren't going to go anywhere because it's like, it's just more of the same old shit. It's not going to fix anything that's, that's, that's like affecting yeah. them. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think Beto is going to be really disappointed because he delayed his campaign announcement so that he could get really good at Fortnite. But now <laughs> everyone moved on to Apex Legends. Apex, so now he's got to start all over. So I don't even know if he's going to make it by 2020. I mean, it's going to be tough for him out there. Ooh. By then, Witcher 4 might be out. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to end up hiring one of those Fortnite coaches that they wrote about in uh, in in New York Times, which, uh, you know, speaking of your like coastal elitism, you know, like this, this is a story that's going to really resonate, like families who have enough money to pay for a Fortnite coach, you know, <laughs> meanwhile, going like, I don't think Bernie Sanders is going anywhere because he's not really like uh, viral enough or whatever. Yeah. Well, but that, that's it. like to credit Armand, his video guy. He is like a viral machine. Like their Facebook yeah. video apparatus is incredible. So shout out, I love Armand. He is like crazy smart, super talented, like knows how to make a great video. That's going to go. I think it's going to go a long way. Armand, come on Liquid Flannel. We'd love to we'd love to talk to you. He would. He's a good he's a good guy. <laughs> We're going to leverage this relationship. Uh in the meantime, I think we do need to take a break right there uh, and try to bring it out on a high note. Before that, though, we have a musical guest for you this week, uh, someone I found on Twitter who was cool enough to share his music with us. So from Harrisonburg, Virginia, this is Dog Turd, whose new album just dropped. So go follow them on Twitter at D-O-G-T-U-R-D underscore. Uh, Check out the album. And this is Duty Doodles.
ready to ready to roll into some high notes yeah i think so yeah what do you got brennan what's your high note this week thankfully this week i was able to actually have a positive experience i'm on a roll right now uh (laughs) this is like two weeks in a row where i had a, a readily accessible high note experience actually had a high note yeah Instead of just going on to uplifting news on Reddit, which is always way more depressing. Oh, it's not as uplifting as I was hoping uh, every time. But I went and saw the Lego Movie 2 with the fam. Yeah. And I was just very pleasantly surprised. You know, I I heard it was good, but I wanted to go in with kind of tempered expectations. Because when I saw the original Lego Movie, I was like, I don't know if this is going to be that good and it was incredible yeah exactly the same we went to see it just because we heard it was getting good reviews and like well i guess you know we're not doing anything tonight and then came out going that was awesome what what, where did this movie come from yeah so yeah i was really impressed that the message of the lego movie 2 is all about how toxic masculinity is really bad it's a perfectly told tale of the failures of toxic masculinity and also the allure of you know those masculine tropes of being dark and brooding and you know unfriendly and angry and edgy like friends don't matter personal relationships don't matter yeah and so it was amazing i definitely did not expect that and i think it pulled it off in a way that i haven't even seen conservatives flipping out about how it's brainwashing children so they must have done a really good job uh, of getting yeah, it yeah it. it happened for a little while you did have some some hot takes from some of the 
like regular like men's rights activist groups like you know like just just another assault on men uh but then when you watch the movie it's not an assault on men it's an assault on certain behaviors for sure that are shitty you know like one of the main characters is this constructed completely self-aware like men's rights douchebag it does a really good job of compartmentalizing those are behavior traits that not only are they not good but also they're things that you can change they offer him the option to like you don't have to be like this you could just like come join the party that we're all having this is kind of a trend uh, it seems like in a lot of media lately like um like wreck it ralph 2 had kind of similar themes and stuff so it's pretty amazing to see how quickly this messaging has caught on and it really went from like not being a topic at all to being something that is addressed as a family-friendly topic of conversation in in palatable children's musicals uh it's it's yeah yeah sure so yeah that was a fantastic experience it was really great the message was great the music was incredible the musical numbers are unbelievable (laughs) yeah the songwriting team was led up by john lejoy who had a bunch of like viral rap memes in like the early 2000s that's who that was i recognized the name but i couldn't please yeah he was on like the league and stuff too but yeah i used to watch his videos on youtube and now he's uh making freaking amazing songs for hollywood animated musicals (laughs) So that was great. I highly recommend it. Yeah, uh, we saw uh, Lego Movie 2 just yesterday, and I agree. I will I will second Brendan's recommendation. I'm going to pull us back from plastic toy movies uh, that are musical to uh, a thing that I thought was a real high note this week uh, that's going to affect a lot of people across the country, which was that in the past couple of days, we had a unanimous decision from the Supreme Court that I'm I'm going to do the legalese thing. What it did was it incorporated the excessive fines part of the Eighth Amendment to the states through the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. But the short digestible version is it's going to be a lot harder for cops to do the uh, civil asset forfeiture grift that they've been doing for the past 40 years uh, going forward, which is great. It's a really easy political win that is able to be praised by both sides, right? Like the right, even though they secretly support these policies, they know that it doesn't look good to support these policies where they're literally using legal loopholes to, you know, there's stories of like uh, some family, like their kid got addicted to heroin and then sold some heroin. And so then they like, the cops like repossessed their house because he like lived in their house right. while he like sold a dime bag to someone. And it's like, that shouldn't be how this works. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah. So civil asset forfeiture for people who don't know is it's a civil proceeding by which the cops in decreasing states, because a lot of states have actually gotten rid of this already, where cops can seize any property that's associated with a crime. Um, you don't have to be prosecuted. You don't have to be convicted in order for them to take your car if your kid sold some weed out of it one time. Um, or, you know, if, if for some reason you have a bunch of cash in your house or something and it turns out that they're there for, uh, you know, some other law enforcement reason, they're able to just take that money 
they just take it and you don't get it back. And it's been a completely perverse incentive for law enforcement where they're, you know, selectively enforcing crimes because they profit from it. You know, they seize a vehicle, they seize a house, they auction that off and they get to keep the funding from that. So this decision basically just extends the Eighth Amendment's protections against excessive fines for prosecutions of crimes to the states, which is the thing that should have happened at some point, but apparently never came up until now. And yeah, it was a unanimous verdict. Crazy. Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote the decision. You don't see that much anymore. (laughs) No, you don't. Uh, I guess Thomas wrote a concurring opinion where he was like, it should have been done this way, not this way, but it has nothing to do with the, the actual verdict. It's a big deal, and it's going to be very helpful for the working class, people who are preyed on by law enforcement for this kind of thing. I do want to recommend, if you haven't seen it before, the documentary Do Not Resist about like the increased militarization of police. Yeah. And within that narrative there's like a there's a component where they talk about civil asset forfeiture fantastic movie cannot stress enough even down to like the narratives that that are instilled in cops like in their training like the us versus them mentality that's like just beaten into them it's fantastic should be like required viewing (laughs) i read this article where it's talking about how because of the asset forfeiture laws it's set up that it's actually an incentive for the police to just stop people that have money. And so it actually was really impacting the border because, you know, when Trump's always talking about like, oh, they're bringing drugs over the border. So what happens is they bring the drugs over the border and then people pay for the drugs and then they try to bring the money back. And so the cops, instead of stopping the drugs from coming in, because there's no money in that if you seize the drugs. Yeah, can't just resell that property. <laughs> right, so they would just wait, follow the people, and then when they were returning the money to pay for the drugs, then they would step in and say, okay, like we'll take it from here, and then they would seize the cash. But it's like the damage has already been done at this point. All you're doing is ripping off the people south of the border who now aren't getting paid for the drugs that they made. <laughs> it's it's a ridiculous policy, and hopefully this goes some way to stopping it. Although, apparently it's not going to stop it like completely and totally, but it's going to make it a little bit harder for people to do. So that's definitely positive. What you're going to have at this point going forward is you have Supreme Court precedent that says that the Eighth Amendment does apply to the states, and so you'll see a rash of lawsuits uh, coming from people who feel like If a police organization decides to do some sort of civil asset forfeiture, you'll have people, you know, bringing suit in state court and hopefully getting it back up to the Supreme Court so they can sort out what the specifics are of this. But it's a great first step and actually a really good, maybe the last time in our lives, who knows, uh, like an actually good legal remedy to government malfeasance. Yeah, I look forward to seeing Trump campaign on this as a as a victory <laughs> that he achieved uh, during his term in his in his re-election campaign it's going to be uh very exciting with those types of things like man give him give him credit for like whatever as long as we can get these types of things like if he wants to call medicare for all trump care <laughs> sure as long as we get it i do not care <laughs> 
The wall's already built. I don't know if you guys saw oh, yeah. his tweets, but it's our, it's, we're <laughs> yeah. done. We did it. So success. Uh, moving on. I want to believe that the other Supreme Court justices were like bullying Brett Kavanaugh, <laughs> uh, like the locker room for the uh, the basketball court or something. Like you're gonna vote with this. Like you you don't need to look like a douchebag. Like on your very first high profile case, it had to be amazing. I you know that they didn't all want to go along with it. I mean, this is. This is a decision that I think a lot of police departments love this shit yeah. because it gets them a bunch of free fucking money. So um, there had to be a lot of, of pressure from those groups to not rule this way. Right. Well, what about you, Jordan? That's a uh, that's that's two pretty high yeah. notes. Can you can you round us out? Those are t- two tough acts to follow. <laughs> I've got so I've got two. One's a little. I guess they're both kind of small. One, I, the Tucker video of him getting like railroaded by his guest oh. and having a complete meltdown. <laughs> that was beautiful. Just like the funniest thing ever, because it just like it exposes him for the fraud that he is. And I hope like people finally wise up to it. Sure. Stop suggesting that we have this red brown alliance. It's all fraudulent. Yeah, it's this nice look behind the curtain. You gotta believe that he records like a million interviews like that. Oh, yeah. I have to believe that the majority of, of interviews that Tucker Carlson does end with his guest calling him an idiot and him going on an unhinged rant. But right. for some reason, those just don't make it to the air. So that's why <laughs> I think Fox News is full of all these like fluff segments with Diamond and Steel and like Sean Hannity being like, yeah, sure. uh, <laughs> let's just cut to a car chase clip or something like that. It was just it was so sad to see Tucker Carlson try to bully this guy into like somehow supporting the alt-right by like saying like we should tax billionaires like he (laughs) Tucker Carlson was trying to like reclaim that uh and he was just not having it it was an amazing strategy like this is a guy who went to Davos and told a bunch of billionaires like the most powerful people in the world off to their faces right and then brought him on Tucker Carlson's show and apparently didn't expect him to do the same thing there. He wants people to come on and validate him. Right. And it's so funny that this is the issue that he's like really trying to posture himself as like, this is who he is now. He's like the anti-capitalist right wing guy. Yeah. He's the populist right winger. The slightest criticism. He has a full meltdown. It's, it's hilarious. That So that's like the first part. I guess they are kind of interrelated because the second part was so Bernie's launch and the fundraising hall that he had from like grassroots supporters six million and i think if you zoom out and look at like camilla bringing in one and a half million klobuchar bringing in a million warren bringing in several hundred thousand i don't i don't think they've released like full numbers since like her official announcement just like her first one was like a few hundred thousand but i think Mm -hmm. you look at all of this kind of like these big pools from like no corporate pack money I think this is like we're charting a new course for getting money out of politics. And I think this is just like a really refreshing thing to see. I'm sure there's going to be some candidates who are going to try to find like loopholes. Like there's already one that I'm kind of concerned that is going to have like a super PAC on the side. Overall, it's it's great that we see a rising tide of grassroots support on the Democratic side. To the extent that anybody has any extra money to give, you know, you gotta <laughs> yeah. you gotta wonder how many times this is going to be effective. Well, I look forward to supporting Pete Buttigieg on his Patreon. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to give him like five bucks a month to continue to successfully run for president for as long as he can keep it going. Does Pete Buttigieg have a podcast yet? Because if not, Pete Buttigieg, come on, Liquid Flannel, we'd love to talk to you. <laughs> 
Bernie had a podcast for a while, and I don't think it did very well. Yeah. The 2020 candidates are really slacking on the podcast front. <laughs> like, I yeah. really thought it's such an easy thing for them to throw out there and be like, hey, we're going to do every week or whatever to just say like, hey, this is what we're talking about. And it's not hard to do. So I don't know why they're not getting on that game. Yeah, it's like the new Fireside Chats. Or exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> if he can do it, you can do it. Yeah, I thought for sure Betocast would have launched by oh. now, but I guess we're still, we're just going to have to wait and see. Who's going to be the first <laughs> candidate to play Fortnite? Oh, it has to be. Oh, it has it. to be Beto. Yeah, yeah I assumed it was Beto. It's either going to be him or Booker. Booker's doing some interesting stuff right now and coming out as a like a vegan yeah. and um, talking about like doing peyote in the desert and stuff. Like, I, I think he's going to go full gonzo oh with his campaign. And actually, I'm 100% here for it. <laughs> There's going to be enough Democrat candidates that they could probably fill out their whole game. What is it? A hundred? players or whatever like they could probably easily get that many <laughs> candidates in there i think that's how they should run the primary yeah that's just, the primary yeah they just run a tournament battle royale style and we'll just see you know last one standing oh man you could get that sniper i, I think you it, know, it's gonna be amazing i think bernie and and warren are dead in the water man like have you ever tried to teach a video game to an old oh, yeah. it's pretty hard <laughs> it's gonna be running in circles <laughs> Yeah, just shooting their own teammates. But, you know, Fortnite's the kind of game where you could just, like, hide behind a rock the entire time and then accidentally win. <laughs> that's uh, that's Amy Klobuchar's actual campaign strategy. <laughs> that is an excellent high note. Jordan Ull, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's been a blast. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? You're a great Twitter follower. Follow. Also follower now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'm at uh, Jordan Yule. Fine. Is it Yule? Have I been pronouncing <laughs> yeah. it wrong? Yeah. It's okay, though. <laughs> God damn it. I swear I saw somebody say, this is how it's pronounced. Oh, no. It was, that was a joke. Probably I missed the joke. Uh. <laughs> well, sorry. Jordan Yule, then. <laughs> yeah. It's been a pleasure. You can follow the show on Twitter also at liquid underscore flannel. And I'm on there at Matt the Great with a W. Brendan, what are you plugging this week? I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. And uh, you'll find me standing replies to Jordan and uh, looking for those likes and farming <laughs> the likes out there. Well, and you're also running Pete Buttigieg's uh, Twitter account. That's so. uh, that's confident. We need to we need to delete Oof. that part. Okay, sorry. We'll we'll edit that out. I, have, I haven't formally right. announced my my Buttigieg <laughs> employment. I am not doing that, but <laughs> but hopefully by putting that out there, uh, we can make that happen. Pete, call me, dude. I got some great butt ideas. Um, <laughs> I think we can really make this happen. Well, thanks again, Jordan. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>